This is week nine. Elijah and Elisha called to rise up, called to stand for God in the gap, in the middle of a pagan nation, before a pagan king, called to make a difference in their day and in their time. And as we've journeyed through the story of Elijah and yet to look a bit more at Elisha, these are men that stood against the darkness of their time. These are men that spoke out when somebody needed to speak. These are men that went to the king when someone needed to go to the king. These are men that stood against the demonic prophets when somebody needed to stand against the demonic prophets. And they trusted God for miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, but how or what caused them to be able to display such courage that they would lay down their lives, their security, their preferences, lay down their agenda for a God who was calling them? What was it that enabled them to stand when so many others cowered? What gave them faith when others were faithless? What caused them to call a nation back to God? They knew their destiny. They knew to whom they belonged. They knew where they were going. And with that confidence, they were able to throw caution to the wind. They could take on the pagan kings and the demonic prophets. They could call a nation back to God because their destiny was certain. It's the same faith that Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego in another time before another king hauled in front of the flames for worshipping God and they said, even if the fire burn us up, we'll still put our trust in Him. It's the assurance we all need. Who has watched the film The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel? Who watched this film because you loved somebody who wanted to watch it? (laughs) And thought, I'll never get that 90 minutes back. This time I was wrong. There are other times I'm not wrong. This time I was wrong. I appreciated this film. And I love the quote that if you've seen the film, you will know and you've heard it elsewhere. Everything will be all right in the end. So if it's not all right, it's not the end. Everything will be all right in the end. So if it's not all right, it's not the end. Elijah and Elisha knew the end. They knew where they were going. The company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know. Yes, I'm sure of these things. I am certain, Elisha replied. I love the way the Bible is so matter-of-fact, speaks with such certainty. Verse 1, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven, 
As if heaven is just certain and there and fixed and obvious. Heaven a more real place than earth. Heaven that is eternal while earth is temporal and passing away. Heaven that is the real deal while all of this just a poor reflection. We think of this world as solid and real and tangible, but the Bible thinks about the other world as real and solid and tangible, of which this world is passing away. Lord, your kingdom come, quickly come. You could say, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Any of those things would be totally appropriate, even in church. Or even a whoop, or even a whoop. There are whoops in the Psalms, as well as cries of uh, lament. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. New heavens, new earth, don't care whether it's there or here, all that theological stuff. Totally irrelevant as God fixes it all in the end. Paul says this, for me then to live, Christ, boom, amazing. For me to live is Christ, more of him every day, more of this glorious Jesus who's changed my life from the inside out. And then even if I die, hey, that's gain, because I'm with him. I'll see him face to face now and forever. Oh, these musicians leave a mess, don't they, pesky kid? For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. If you don't know where you're going on an ordinary journey, what does it create? Uncertainty makes you fearful, you become cautious, anxious, uncertain, stressed. Emma is learning to drive. We were getting bold last night. I'm teaching her. We were getting bold last night, and I said, I've got no idea what's if you turn right, but turn right. It was really misty last night. And we turned right down this dark, misty lane with huge concrete bollards on one side. I was doing my nut, actually. As we, we'll just keep going slowly, a little bit further, a little bit further. But what did it generate? We had no idea where we were going. We became cautious and anxious, a little bit fearful. Should we go any further? Should we stop? Should we turn around? And we did a three-point turn. Yay! And all was well as we headed back into uh, the light. But when you don't know where you're going, you become cautious and anxious and stressed and fearful. Tell me this. Do those emotions help you live for Jesus? Do they create kingdom breakthrough in your life? Do they cause faith to rise? No. And we're not called to live a journey where we do not know in the end where we are going. We are called to walk this journey where the destination is sure to know where we are going. Not having certainty about that, not being confident, is debilitating in life. When I was in junior school, I played football uh, most lunchtimes. The, the proper game was rugby. So for a bit of light relief in the, in the breaks, we play football. And I want you to imagine the cross comes in. It's near to the end of uh, lunchtime. The cross comes in. It's just right. Hit it once. Volley. Absolutely perfect. And the ball is soaring towards the back of the net if there was a net. 
two jumpers on the ground. If there was a net, into the back of the net. It was just minutes before the whistle would go for the end of break. We knew that this was the winning goal. Our teammates with me began to celebrate. And then suddenly, suddenly I saw what was about to happen and I knew I couldn't stop it. Have you ever been in one of those moments? You can see it's about to happen and you cannot stop it. Because as that ball went zooming past a helpless goalie, I could see just beyond the goals was Mrs. Price and Classroom 3. It would not have mattered if the classroom glass was bulletproof. That ball was going through. Smash! Glass everywhere. Mrs. Price seemed ungrateful for the gift of my football and showed no appreciation for the glory of the goal and the wonder of the moment. And she sent me to Mrs. Roberts. Mrs. Roberts was built like a Sherman tank. (laughs) Mrs. Roberts didn't know what to do with me. So she sent me to the head of the whole school, Mr. Dawkins. And I walked across the playground as if I was walking the plank. Come on with me for a minute. Feel the... And I went into Mr. Dawkins' office. But by then I'd lost interest in explaining to him what a great goal it was. And was ready to quietly reflect on all that he would bring to me. And he didn't really know what to do with me. And he, he sat back thinking some kind of punishment that would help me understand I should not have been so stupid and so foolish. And this is what he said. This is like Monday or Tuesday. He said, I want you to come back on Friday and I'll deal with you then. Oh, no, not Friday. If I've got a punishment, now, please. If I've got to face something, let's deal with it here and now, but don't let me wait four whole days. The judgment of Mr. Dawkins hung over my head. Friday eventually came, by which time the thing had taken over the whole of my nine-year-old life. It had got bigger as the days had gone on. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I went to him as requested in the school assembly on that Friday morning, ready to face whatever I had to face. At least it would be done then. And you know what? He hardly gave me a moment's attention. Oh, it's all over now, he kind of said. Just move your goals somewhere else. And then he dismissed me. I was furious. I had not eaten and slept for four whole days. And he swept me aside like some kind of fly irritant in the way. Ooh, what a sly beggar. So I remember getting home and I said to my dad, he said, what happened? I said, well, nothing happened. It was like he wasn't interested. What on earth was all that about? I've been sweating buckets all week. And my dad, who's a bit older, tiny bit wiser sometimes, sometimes it inverts, you know, as he gets older and I get, you know, 
Ever known that with your parents? There's, an in, you know, there's a moment, isn't there, and a whole thing turns on its head. Sorry, Dad. You'll listen to this podcast in a couple of weeks, driving the car somewhere. He said, well, well, maybe, maybe, my dad said, maybe the waiting was the punishment. And I thought, ooh, Mr. Dawkins, you swine. <laughs> Wanted to deck him if only I could reach. Oh. Some people live the whole of their lives like that week because they sense there might be something to face and they don't know what it is. And it creates uncertainty. It creates anxiety. It creates stress and fear. Stops us living in the now because we're anxious about what might come. And death, maybe itself, hangs over us like that Friday morning hung over me. It's a horrible way to live. Elijah and Elisha knew where they were going. They knew in the end there was nothing but something amazing to face. And it brought them freedom and joy and light and peace and life every day for me to live. Christ to die is gain. That ridiculous phrase, isn't it? Oh, he or she, so heavenly minded to be of no earthly use. So that, you ever use that phrase? Basically, it's about, oh, you're all so spiritual and holy and all that nonsense. You you haven't got your feet on the ground. Let, Let me tell you this. Tweeters, Twitters, get yourselves ready. Here we go. The better you are gripped by heaven, the stronger you will be on earth. Period. The better you are gripped by heaven, the stronger you will be on earth. They knew where they were going, and they knew, this is brilliant, that the Lord would get them there. They knew that the Lord would get them there. There, the Lord would do it. How many times in those verses does it it say the the Lord, the Lord this, the Lord that? He would get them there. In Elijah's case, the Lord would create the whirlwind. The Lord would build and provide the chariot. The Lord would uh, bring the horses. The Lord would ignite the fire. The Lord would brief the angels. The Lord would do it. It'd be his journey, his way, his destination. I love it. Fiery chariots and horses. I mean, he didn't turn up in a Robin Reliant and said, come on, get in if you dare. This is like a four by four bulletproof heavenly vehicle. It says, we're going and nothing's going to stop us in this chariot with this fire. You could say something, you could anything that shows that you're remotely interested, that the God of heaven is going to get you from where you are now to that place where you stand before him and you're like him. And boy, you need to change a bit to be like him and it'll be a glorious day. Oh, man. That's the confidence we need. But listen really carefully. The scandal of religion. I hate religion. The scandal of religion is that we've made it about us. We've kidded ourselves that we could build a chariot. 
that somehow we could light the fire, that somehow we know the way and can get ourselves there. For as long as you're thinking, it might depend on you, even a tiny, tiny bit, you're stuffed. You're stuffed. Be like trying to scoot to the North Pole. Jumping on your trampoline and trying to reach the moon. He has created a whirlwind through his death and resurrection. (laughs) Honestly, I'm going to say that again, okay? He has created a whirlwind through his death and resurrection. A whirlwind. Through his death and resurrection, he has built a chariot that will take me all the way home. You and me together, Liam. The fire of God himself will light our path. Jesus wanted his disciples to live in that assurance. Because Jesus knew that if they lived with uncertainty, if they had no idea whose they belonged to and where they were going, they would never be the world changers that he longed for them to be. So he said to them on that final evening, words that you probably know well, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust also in God. And believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? If, oh, sorry, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This is a fantastic Middle Eastern traveler's picture, which of course you knew. If you were traveling in the Middle East, it was often dangerous. The weather was often an important factor. There were often robbers lying in wait, like the story, Jerusalem to Jericho. So as you reached the end of the day, you would only be able to journey with a measure of confidence if you knew you had somewhere to stay at nightfall. Agreed? The last thing you would want to do would be to get to the final, and and along the main roads, there were like little motels, uh, sort of uh, uh, little oikoses, families, extended families that would open up their homes, open up their rooms, so that travelers could could stay on the journey. The last thing you wanted to do was as night began to fall and the chill of the air uh, wrapped around you was to get to that final place to stop for the night and to see the sign. No room. No room. And so what you would do is you would send a runner, a runner on ahead, in order to prepare the room. So the runner would go on ahead of you that day and find a suitable place for all of you to stop. Often you were traveling with your uh, family. That could mean wives, sheep, monkeys, everything else. You're traveling along. You need somewhere to stay. The servant's gone on ahead to prepare a place for you. Does that language sound anything like what you're reading here? Okay, so they're thinking, ooh, golly. So the servant goes on, prepares a place for you, and because you know that room has been prepared for you, you can journey through that day with confidence. Anyone know what I'm talking about? So you send someone on ahead, and in order to be sure that you had the room, someone had 
to pay. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? I am the one sent on ahead to prepare a place for you. You can travel the journey of life with absolute confidence and assurance because you know the place is already ready. And when the servant who'd run on ahead wanted to book the room, he would make payment for that room. So there was no disputing that that room that night was theirs. This is Thursday evening with his disciples. Jesus quite literally was going on ahead of them to make full payment for the room. Your room. Paying for it in his own body and blood. At three o'clock, the very next afternoon, Jesus would cry out in a loud voice, It is finished. He might just as well have cried, It's paid all in full. You know when you're in a hurry, those chip and pin machines take ages, don't they? You ram your card in, punch your number in, if you can remember. Always say the number out loud. That freaks everyone out. 5276. And then you've got this awful pregnant pause. Well, it just goes, mm, awaiting, requesting, awaiting, dialing, requesting, awaiting, dialing, cue backing up. The, the, the shop person says, oh, it's been very slow today. No, it hasn't. It's always like this. Waiting, and then finally, suddenly, approved. Woo! Green light, and you're on your way. 60 seconds. Contactless payment. How cool is that? Brings it down to 50. Well, cool. Oh, but I'm nervous about contactless payments because other people might be able to take my money. Hey, if you can find 20 quid in my bank account, God bless you. <laughs> Contact payment. Boom. Stick it on. Away you go. 50 seconds. 60 seconds to pay. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. For six hours of darkness that seemed like forever. Not just the shop was watching, but the whole world was watching as the skies went dark. And he hung there naked and vulnerable with the searing pain of the world's lostness in his heart, patiently waiting until the word from heaven approved. Approved pain. And he cried, it is finished. And with that he died. The next time you wait 60 seconds with your chip and pin, remember the Son of God who waited six hours till everything, every last little grubby thought and deed was paid in full and your destiny was forever secured. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? Is this unbelievable? Kind of, it is believable. I don't mean it's unbelievable like you can't believe it. If you're an English language specialist. It's unbelievably believable. Donald Gray Barnhouse was an American writer, teacher, theologian. And on the death of his first wife, they drove away from the funeral and he's trying to make sense of it all with his kids who were clearly desperately upset in the car. 
And as they were making their way home from the funeral, a massive truck swung by them, just missing them. And the shadow of the truck fell right across the car, and it gave him an idea. And he said to his kids, which would you rather? Which would you rather? Would you rather the real thing, being run over by a truck, or just its shadow? Of course, they said, just the shadow. The shadow can't hurt us. To which he replied, Did you know that 2,000 years ago the truck of death ran over Jesus himself in order that only its shadow might run over you? Elijah and Elisha knew where they were going. They knew the Lord would get them there. Chariots coming. Now you were wondering earlier on, why are we singing Swing Low, Sweet Chariot? That's why. Finally, Elijah and Elisha knew that they would see this life no more. No more. And Elisha saw him no more. Some of the other guys said, let's go looking for him. We'll find him. Uh Uh-uh, couldn't find him. No more. There is a day when this life is for us no more. It reminds me of that verse that We know well, maybe. But at the end of time, it says that God will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more. (laughs) Hallelujah. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. No more kids starving. No more messy water like we heard a few weeks ago. No more people struggling. At a graveside, no more people wondering what ne- no more death or mourning or crying for the old order of things will have passed away. That perspective changes everything. No more. That day is coming. Come with me to Church Village, a small community in one of the South Wales valleys. There in the middle of the village was a small Baptist chapel. The year is 1911. And watch as a young widow, heavy with grief, walks into that simple chapel frame behind the coffin of the husband she's loved with all her heart. He'd just been promoted a station master in that same village, but suddenly, inextricably, he died just 32. They'd shared such Hopes shared so many dreams. They had five adorable children, all under eight. For this young woman, the future would be harder than she ever imagined. No social security, no income support, a widow with no job, no occupation, five little ones to feed. War was imminent. And now she makes the long, lonely walk down that chapel aisle. Is she angry with God? Who could blame her if she was? Furious, livid at what life has dealt her. Has her faith crumpled? Has the little light of God's love that was lit in the back room of that same chapel in Sunday school, has that little light of God's love gone out, snuffed out forever? After some brief scripture, The parson announces the opening hymn. A hymn that she's chosen 
No, much more than that. A hymn that she has chosen carefully, thoughtfully, precisely for this moment. The congregation rise and begin to sing. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Saviour art thou. And then the killer line. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. Now. How could she love Jesus now? It seemed only yesterday she'd stood in that same place, all dressed in white. Now everyone's in black. What was it possibly about her life and her circumstance that she should say today, my Jesus, I love you. Now. In this moment. In this situation. The third verse for me is the most penetrating. I'll love thee in life. I will love thee in death. And praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath. If ever I loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. How could she sing? How could she pray with her dead husband just a touch away? How could she trust? How she could believe any more as the tears streamed down her children's faces? Unless she really knew him. Jesus. Unless she really knew the one who has come to take our sorrow and pain. Unless she really knows the one that holds us when we're hurt and strengthens us when we're weak, who in other words, in the words of another great hymn, soothes our sorrows, heals our wounds and drives away our fears. How could she sing unless she understood that in the coming of Jesus was the absolute assurance that one day, Days like these would be no more. That one day for her, her husband, and her children, there would be a day of no more of this. Hallelujah. And so she stands. And joins the congregation as they sing the final verse. In mansions of glory and endless delight. I'll ever adore thee in heaven so bright. I'll sing with the glittering crown on my brow. A gift from Jesus. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, it is thou. Eight years ago, I buried my aunt at the age of 95. She would have been 104 this last week had she still been alive. She was the youngest of those five children. And she herself went on to love Jesus all her life. No surprise is what we sang at her funeral. If ever 
I love thee, my Jesus. It is now. If you want to be more assured of heaven this morning, I invite you to stand. Lord, Lord, this is our, your gift to us as we, as we stand. Lord, this is your gift to us. You long that we might be certain of who we are, where we're going, how we're going to get there. And you invited us to put our trust in you. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, today's the day to put your trust in Jesus. I've got no idea. I'm anxious about what I might have to face. I know there are things in my life that are not as they should be. I can see that Jesus took all that on the cross. He's gone ahead and he's paid in full. And if I trust him today, there's a room for me. Maybe you've been journeying with Jesus for many years. And the gift of his spirit right now is to give you a new sense of assurance a new sense of his, of his Spirit in you, a guarantee, a certainty of all that is to come. You long to be able to say with confidence, I know the day is coming when his chariot will take me all the way home. Spirit of God, give this gift to your people in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to our hearts, Lord. Give us all that we need in these moments. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Jesus, yes, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, for everyone who's, who's stressed and troubled and anxious today, your word, do not let your hearts be troubled. May people hear that today. May that travel from people's heads to hearts today. Jesus' name.